Engaging conversation on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. I'm Teresa Watson, the Executive Manager of Priests for Life, and I'm here with my colleague, Mark Valonzo, the Chief Technology Officer, and we want to talk to our National Director today, Father Frank Pavone, and give you some updates on what's been happening since uh, you were laicized a year ago. Yes, it's been a year. Yeah. So how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. As I think everyone who follows our mission knows, you know, I put out my daily diary on, that's one of the most important programs uh, because it's accountability, it's openness, literally videos that people can see at priestforlife.org slash daily dash diary, where from the morning, moment I wake up till the moment I went to bed, what did I do each day? Because I think that leaders should be accountable that way. They should be open. And uh, especially when people support our work, they should know what we're doing in return <laughs> and that uh, we're actually doing the work. And also that uh, it's a celebration, really, of, uh, of the work. Because as you know, I, I love doing it. And I, have, I have just as much joy and eagerness in doing it today as I did the very first day. And my relating day-to-day, what I'm doing each day, is sort of a, a, a celebration of thankfulness for being able to do it. So people ask me, what are you doing? I'm doing the same thing I've been doing the last 30 years, minus the mass. Uh, I don't have that white collar on. And, um, you know, I'm not presenting myself as a priest in priestly ministry, although one is a priest forever. And, uh, but all my other activities, a lot of people don't realize, you know, and this is one of the reasons we wanted to do this program. They don't realize that I'm still doing all the things I was doing before. Speaking, teaching, writing, broadcasting, managing the staff, going to pro-life rallies, leading pro-life rallies. We'll be leading the prayer service in Washington on the day of the March for Life. We're, we're, we're outreaching to abortionists. We're healing people from abortion. We're running Rachel's Vineyard. We're running Silent No War. We're doing a, a, a thousand different things. And uh, day to day, again, people just can read my daily, watch my daily diary. It's the work we've been doing all along. And you're not doing the mass, but you do a daily scripture reflection every day. That's right. I'm still preaching uh, as a layperson, right? Yeah. Which I know our audience really. Oh, they love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but that's that's why you see, and people are not going to know what we're doing if they're not connected with. You know, our programming. Maybe not not everybody even knows that it's there. But the more they get connected, the more they'll see that we haven't missed a beat. Well, you're not a, technically a priest, right? But most of us still call you father. I know most of the people out in the public still call you oh, father. Oh, this is the constant refrain. They come up to me, oh, I'll always call you father. Right, right. So, I, And that's not because of any disrespect for church authority. No. We respect the church authority. It's because there's a relationship. What, why do we call people father? Because a father gives life. Right. And people have found life through our ministry. Mm-hmm. They found life through through the preaching, through the, the the work we do. We're literally saving lives. We're literally healing lives from the right. devastation of abortion. So that's why it's because of the relationships, not because some from some piece of paper from from the Vatican. Again, although we respect the authority, it's like Father, this is real to them in their life. Well, you know, so, Teresa, um, my parish priest actually, after I told him about, it, I was so devastated about what happened with Father Frank, mm-hmm. and now I now I got to just call him Frank Pavone, and I'm like, I, I feel. That priest said, Mark, don't you dare not call him Father Frank, right. okay? 
Right. He's always going to be Father Frank. Yes. And I, I felt some some solace and some peace mm, in that. That a priest and, told you that. Absolutely. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. And we have the same parish uh, right, pastor. Right. And <laughs> the day I saw him that, that following Sunday, he came over to me and said, we're so sorry to hear about Father Frank. Right. Mm. So he himself uh, referred. So you think you'll get married someday? or? Well, you know, some people have asked me that. And, and it really is, it shows that we have to take a step back and explain why this happened in the first place. Why this happened in the first place was that it was my insistence in conscience that I devote all my time, all my energy to saving the unborn from abortion. Now, when I say all my time and all my energy, I mean it quite literally. Yes. And so part of the whole battle with some in the hierarchy over these last, well, I've been leading Priest for Life for 30 years, but the battle really started over the last uh, 21 years, was that some they wanted me to pull me away from full-time commitment to fighting abortion. And I said, okay, give me one good reason. And uh, there never has been a good reason. The ministry has flourished. The, the, the message is right on point with what the church teaches, and we're living in the midst of a Holocaust. This is an emergency. And that's been my message. It's a prophetic message. It's a, it's a reform message. Uh, and reform messages are all, always greeted with opposition from those who have to change if they accept the message. But, the, but that's the message. I, In fact, I issued a call. You remember back at the time of 9-11. I issued a call to people to leave their professions and to work full-time fighting abortion. And many people responded to that call. I mean, hundreds of people responded to that call. So... People have asked, oh, well, no, you're free to get married now, you're going to get married. Marriage is a sacred and holy vocation. We defend marriage, right? It's part of our mission. But I can, I can honestly say, never in a million years. Because, not because there's anything wrong with marriage, but because that would defeat the entire motive for which I have had this battle in the first place these past 21 years, saying to the authorities in the church respectfully, let me live my calling to give my every ounce of time and energy to ending abortion. How would I, if, if I was objecting to them saying to me, oh, well, you have to spend a significant amount of your time, you know, tending to a parish instead of tending to the pro-life movement, how would I then, fighting that, turn around and say, oh, now I'm going to spend a significant portion of my time raising yeah. a family? It, 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 again, not that there's anything wrong with that, and I understand why people would naturally ask that question, but it's like, no, 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 you, you, you don't quite get what's going on here. You know, This is about a total commitment to this, to this cause. I understand that. Of course, I've worked with you 18 years. I know, uh, I know how you work, and uh, I know that you um, start fighting for these kids from the moment that you wake up mm -hmm. until you pass out at night. I mm -hmm. know that. Mm -hmm. Okay. But some of my friends actually were wondering, is he allowed to get married if he wanted to? You know, when, when uh, a priest is told that he cannot be a priest anymore, sometimes, because remember, when you become a priest, you make the promise of celibacy. celibacy. You make a promise of celibacy. The church sometimes will release a priest from that obligation, and sometimes not. Okay. Honestly, I don't know in my case, because I haven't seen the decree. You haven't seen the decree? No, but I don't need to either. Because, uh, and first of all, in terms of marriage, it, it, it doesn't matter, right? Because it doesn't matter because that's out of the question. Right. Um, and as far as everything else, 
you know, it's a sad story. And I have done some broadcasts about this where on this table I've had a stack of papers this high of all the recourses and the appeals and the, 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 the back and forth with the bishops in the Vatican over my case. And um, at a certain point in that process, it became very clear, sad to say, because we have the greatest respect for church authority, but sad to say, uh, the process was um, not honest. Uh, it was uh, one-sided. At a certain point, they just weren't listening to us anymore. And they had the pretense of engaging in a process, but it, it ended up being a kangaroo court. It ended up being a sham. Uh, and so in that sense, a long time ago, uh, I came to the conclusion that uh, this is a pre-written narrative. They know what they want to do. I, didn't, I don't know if I made this clear in the course of my commentary about this situation, but the bishop that, I've, that I was under you know, uh, since 2008, Zurich of Amarillo, actually said to my canon lawyer, years before this happened, I want to drive him out of the priesthood. And we have letters where the canon lawyer wrote back to the bishop and said, you said this to me, now you want to explain yourself about this? So do people, if people think for one moment that this was an honest process, uh, think again. This is, we have a big problem here of, uh, of the, the weaponization of church government, just like we have weaponization of government in America right now. But Father Frank, um, you didn't get the decree, so they kick you out of the priesthood, but why not give you the decree? You know, I read Bishop Strickland's open letter to the faithful two or three days ago. He, he, he sent it. So he said he never got any kind of a written explanation as to why he was removed as Bishop of Tyler. I, I mean, they did it, so why not give yeah, well, an when explanation there's, to when there's when, See, because when there's weaponization of government, whether it's civil government or church government, uh, that's... That explanation part of the whole thing, that giving of a rationale, is precisely what gets attacked first. Because if you don't have to explain yourself, well, then, then it's sheer power. And that's weaponization of government. That's, that's looking at the civil arena. You know, I'm a supporter of President Trump. Uh, uh, people know that, right? Our organization uh, as a ministry does not endorse, but I've been involved in supporting him. And... Um, What's been happening to him? You know, they go ahead and impeach him twice, and and they and they and they bring all these these charges against him and these indictments. There's not a single rationale for any of it. Let me say that again. There's not a single rationale in the law for any of it. Instead, they use these vague terms. Like, remember one of the impeachment processes? You say, "Oh well, abuse of power." What in the world does that mean? What law does that break? Well, what are you talking about? What do you? They don't define. What they're talking about, because they're not going after a crime in search of a person. So the way justice is supposed to work, whether it's in the government or in the church, is that you go after a crime, you have evidence that a crime was committed, and then you, you find out who did it, right? And you punish them accordingly. You go after a crime in search of a person. Weaponization of government, whether in the civil or in the uh, church arena, is you go after a person in search of a crime. You tag the person that you don't like. That and then you, yeah. you treat them as if they committed a crime, but you can never identify what the crime is. Right. Because there was none. You just, don't, you just want to sideline that person. You just want to silence that person. 
it's time that this comes out into the light. You know, this, I read Bishop Strickland's note too, and you know what he said. And I've been talking to him a lot, of course, since all this happened. And uh, he said, you know what? It's time that what all these things that are taking place in the darkness come out into the light. Secret now it comes yeah. to the light. It has that's to. correct. It has Absolutely. to. Right. And that's not disloyalty to the church. That's loyalty. That's right. love of the church. It's not rebellion against the church. Right. It's love of the church. So. Well, Mark and I, you know, we were talking recently and, you know, with everything going on, you know, we have family members and, you know, that say, how can you still go to the Catholic church? Or we've got friends that say, oh, I'm yeah. going yeah. to leave the church. This is, right, you know, right, this right, is right, craziness. Right, right. So, I mean, what do, what do you say to them? Well, what I say is you don't let your enemies destroy your faith. And I'm not, you know, they're going to take away my, my, my right to exercise priestly ministry. Well, they have that authority. I respect that. But they're not, I'm not going to let them take away my faith. I'm not going to let them separate me from the Eucharist. We believe certain things. We believe that the, 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 the church is Jesus continuing to minister in the world. So why should, just because somebody doesn't like me, just because somebody wants to sideline or silence me, why should I let them have so much power over me that I decide to separate myself from the most important thing in my life, which is the relationship with Jesus Christ in and through his church? It's his church. Who's the head of the church? Jesus Christ. Amen. Who's the Pope? The vicar of Christ. It's referential. He's not Christ. He can't change dogma. He can't invent dogma. And he can't just do whatever in the world he wants. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And so that's why we don't leave the church. Uh, that's, you know, Teresa, that's the very same thing that Bishop Strickland said. Uh, yes, he, yeah, yeah, exactly. you know, and, and now, of course, it's also happening to uh, Cardinal Burke, you know, uh, no explanation. And suddenly he lost his apartment. Okay, so he salary. lost his apartment. Right. And, you know, that's just right. like they, you know, they said about President Trump, oh, abusive power. You know, the phrase that they're using now with people, me, Strickland, Burke and, and others, they, 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 it's all the same phrase. Uh, he's causing disunity in the church. Well, what in the world does that mean? What in the world does that mean? Causing disunity in the church. Disunity how? Disunity from what exactly? They don't define it. They don't define it. Because there is no definition of it. Uh, unity, you know, unity has to be around truth. Unity has to be in Christ. Unity has to be in the creed, in the Holy Spirit. You know, there's certain things that you're united around. And those things are always divided from their opposite. Light is always divided from darkness. Truth is divided from falsehood. Sin is divided from grace. The creed is, is divided from the anti-creed. The gospel is divided but from, by the, from the anti-gospel. There's always division. So what does it mean? What do you mean when you're causing disunity in the church? How? By standing for the truth and pointing out error? Is that what you're talking about? Or standing for life and there's some in the church that don't, don't care about the, the unborn? Is that the kind of disunity you're talking about? It looks like if you're American, if you're a conservative... Yeah, and if you're fighting for the truth, yeah, you got a target on your. Then back. you have uh, a bullseye. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. Exactly right. So they they took your priesthood away, yeah. but they certainly well take your, you know, your leadership here. You know, I have a letter here from, and this is a recent development, it's dated November 9th, and um, Father Dave Dibel has been one of our key canonical consultants, as people know if they've been following this uh, story. I'll just read a couple of these paragraphs, because what you just said reminded me of something he says here. Um, Though he is under certain restrictions, he has not forgotten all that he has learned from 30 years of full-time pro-life ministry. Isn't that funny? The decree came down, and somehow my mind still remembers the things that, right? Right. 
preaching on abortion in every state, leading the world's largest ministry for healing after abortion, articulating the pro-life message before legislators, clergy, and the public. He has not lost his ability or passion to teach, encourage, and inspire the pro-life movement. Nor has he lost the deep compassion that has enabled him to lead even prominent abortionists to the mercy of Christ. I still have those gifts, so why should I not use them? Well, what's the rationale for putting them under a bushel basket, you know, unless you want to, you know, have the Lord tell you at the judgment, I gave you these gifts, why didn't you use them? Right. You know? right. So, uh, no, I continue to use them with full respect for the boundaries that the church now has, has, has put, just as Bishop Strickland has respect for the fact that he's no longer the Bishop of Tyler. He's not, he's not forcing himself into the office of the Bishop of Tyler and saying, I'm still going to run this diocese. You know, that would be disrespect for church authority. No, he's respecting it fully. Um, but, and, and so, and in my case, hey, I've still got an organization I can lead and, and, you know, a message I can teach. So I can keep doing it. Are you taking any steps to get your priesthood back? Yeah, at this point, people have to understand, it's not a process. It's not an appeal. It's not a, it's not a trial. It's not a, it's not, it's not a process. It's simply a request, you know? And so we've made that request quite publicly. I mean, everybody knows I want to, I want to continue serving as a priest because I didn't walk away from my priesthood. They, they put up a boundary, not me. I didn't do anything to walk away from the priesthood. So, um, so I want to have it back again. It's a request of the Pope. So our canonical team has prepared all the, you know, it's, you, 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 you write a letter that says, here's the reasons why this should be reversed, right? So now it's just, we've done everything that we're supposed to do. Uh, will this Pope reverse it? Well, people think probably not. Uh, but there's going to be a next pope when that time comes, and you know we 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 will be knocking at the door as I've explained to people before. So it's not like something that you know oh well and all this there's 15 things now that we have to do and there's 10 different deadlines and we have to wait and see. It's not that. All it is at this point is Holy Father, would you please reconsider this? And uh, and that's it. And then we just meanwhile you know while 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 he makes whatever decision he is or isn't going to make, we just keep doing our work. Right. Well, change in personnel certainly indicates change in policy, mm -hmm. uh, right? Uh, but Father, are you able to uh, minister some of the sacraments? I was told that you could still forgive sins in the event that someone is in, in danger trouble. of death. That's right, in danger. Let's say I'm 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 on one of my trips and 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 I, I come across a situation where there was an uh, an accident and somebody says, "Oh, I'm a Catholic, you know, I want absolution," and there's no priest around, you know. I still have that, when, when one is ordained to preach, just like when one is baptized, you never get baptized all over again. Even if you were to leave the faith, if you come back and you repent and you, you go to confession, you know you don't have to get rebaptized. So if they readmit me to priestly ministry, they don't reordain me. I'm ordained once and forever, right. which means even now, I would have not only the, 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 the right to do that, I'd have the duty to do that. Somebody comes, somebody says, oh, I, I need absolution for myself. I can absolve them from their sins. Or somebody needs the Eucharist again in an emergency wow. situation. I can if I if I consecrate the Eucharist, it's the body of Christ. So that's so you know a priest who's been laicized is not exactly the same as a layperson who's never been ordained, because you have been ordained, and, and that has to be respected. And, and you know what? It's interesting to see the divide, because the people that we minister to. I would say it's got to be like 98% of them. They say to me, oh, I'll always call your father. Why? And then the other thing they always say, it's like they all have the same script. 
you know, scripture says you are a priest forever. And that's our yeah. Catholic teaching is that is they understand the teaching that we're talking about right now. Then you have those who never knew us, don't have a relationship with us. They'll be very, very quick to drop the title father and, 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 and act as if I'm like any other layperson. Like, no, there's no difference. Oh, there's a big difference. And, and that needs to be respected. Well, you know, I hear some people um, question it. Uh, well, gee, if I, I am a Catholic and if I support um, the, the ministry or I support Father Frank, you know, am I going against the church? Am oh, I not sinning? at all. Am not I at doing, all. No, that's important that you bring that up because some people do wonder about that. And the answer is no. And in fact, I'll read that's part of this letter. Uh, we have this on our website, of course, endabortion.us. This letter from Father Diabo clarifies, and I'll read it in a second. But this is interesting now what's happening. What's happening now, it's not anymore any kind of canonical process going on. There's been canonical processes we've been, we've been involved in for 21 years. This now what, what is, a, is, is a battle between those who want to cancel us and those who want to support us. Those who want to cancel us, they are engaged in shunning activity, shunning like a cult does. In a cult, you can't question the authority. If you do, you're going to be expelled. And if you're expelled, you are shunned. No community. You're treated as if you don't exist. Ostracized. Now, some, ostracized, right? There are some out there, few though they may be, who are our enemies. And they shun us. They try to behave as if we don't exist. And I'm talking about certain organizations within the church, uh, one or two misguided uh, uh, folks within the pro-life movement and, um, and, and certain church authorities, they want to behave as if we don't exist. And uh, they want people to have the notion that, oh, you know, yeah, well, Father Frank's a laicized priest. Yeah, and therefore what? And they want them to come to the unspoken conclusion, or oh, therefore, well, you can't have anything to do with him or with his ministry. Who says that? So Father Diabo writes this letter, and he says, you want to make something clear, he says, um, Frank was not excommunicated, nor was his membership in the people of God altered in any way. And here's a key, key sentence with regard to your question. His ministry of priests for life was not condemned. Faithful Catholics may still support it. As a member of the people of God, Frank Pavone enjoys the rights and responsibilities proper to the lay state, including proclaiming the saving message of Christ and the right, not the privilege, the right to a good name while so doing. He does not need permission to fulfill the obligations and exercise the rights of the lay state. And you know, even in the announcement that the nuncio made of the laicization last year, he mentioned Priests for Life in that announcement, and he says the relationship between Priests for Life and Frank Pavone is entirely up to them. That's not under our jurisdiction. And that's a, it's good that he mentioned that. People should take that as a signal because if they, if they were saying, no, no Catholic may in good conscience associate with priest life, first of all, they would make themselves look like lunatics. Because what are we doing? Saving, saving the, babies. You no longer associate with saving babies? Is right. that what you're trying to say? Yeah. You know, or healing people from the wounds of abortion? We've got the largest ministry in the world for doing that. So, no, it, 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 common sense would, would, it would make them look like, like, like fools. But secondly, uh, they would be outside of their authority to do that. Because you, you can't... Here's, here's who the bishops say you can't associate with as a Catholic. Catholics for choice. They've made that declaration. Catholics for choice. You know, uh, because the choice there is abortion. Right, right. And, uh, you know. 
Right. But it's good that you, we clarify this and people can read this letter, um, you know, on our website. Well, and like you had said, the nuncio said that um, you leading Priest for Life was up to Priest for Life. Yeah. And Mark, the board of directors, the leadership here, the yes. pastoral team, we everyone, the staff, yeah. was all well, unified. I, and I don't think anyone can do the work that Father Frank does, or nor, nor none of us would ever want to try. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, he... Uh, I, Father Frank is 12 years younger than me, and I can't keep up with Father Frank. 12 so, years older. 12 years older, that's right. 12 <laughs> yeah. senior, that's correct, that's correct. Yes. 12, 12 years uh, older, and uh, I can't keep up with Father Frank. I just, uh, again, from the time that he wakes up until he passes out, okay? Let me, let me share that story with you. I, I say that because we were in our headquarters in New York. Um, and um, we started our day at 7.30 in the morning. That's when we have our, our update. And uh, we had problems with our computer systems. They were being attacked, okay? We get a lot of those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, we finished, um, Ruben and I finished around 10.30 at night. And we were about to go home, but I saw that there was a light in Father Frank's office. So I wanted to just say, hey, Father, everything is okay. Everything is under control now, you know? And when I came in, I saw Father Frank passed out <laughs> with all the papers there, just passed out. So I wanted to just quietly back up and, mm -hmm. and just, you know, but he heard me. And I said, oh, Mark, come on in. I said, Father, I'm so sorry to bother you. Mm -hmm. You really should go to your bedroom and yeah. get some rest. He goes, no, 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 I'm, I'm fine. He was like, you know, I'm just getting my second win. We had a 30-minute meeting <laughs> at 1030 at night. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And the crazy thing is when I woke up in the morning, I wake up at 5.30, 6 o'clock, mm -hmm. you know, because I have to be at work at 7.30. Right. I received emails at 4.30 in the morning. Oh, I, yes. I said, when is I this know. guy You're resting? Yes. Oh, yes. How does he yes. do this? Oh, you know, um, I, I, have, I have today as much energy and excitement about this work as, as, as ever. It's, it's just the Lord is just, people, you know, people say to me all the time out on the road, you're exactly where you belong. You, you, this is your vocation. Yeah. The people of God see that. Sure. Except the handful that seem to miss it. <laughs> yeah. So before we end, and um, do you have any regrets? I mean, some people say, gee, you didn't fight hard enough for your Oh, <laughs> let me bring out that stack again. You know, how many times we had to go back and forth with the Vatican fighting for the priesthood. Right. You know, if I wasn't going to fight for my priesthood, I could have said in 1990, what was it, 1993, when I came to the conviction that I was called. Now this is this wasn't Cardinal O'Connor who, who had ordained me and he was my bishop at that time. It wasn't him coming to me to say, Do you want to do full-time pro-life work? Or here you have to do full-time pro-life work. I went to him because I experienced that call of conscience. And uh if I wasn't gonna value the priesthood and want to do this as a priest, I could have gone to him at that moment and said, Your Eminence. I'm sorry, I have to, I have to, I can't Not serve as a me. priest yep. anymore. Right. Because I've, I've come to the conviction I want to do pro-life work full-time. Now, if I had said that, I can say that my conviction of being called to pro-life work full-time is just as strong as it would have been if that's what I did say. But I went to him saying, asking his permission to do this as one of his priests. And he gave me that permission. And you know, the church multiple times over these years reaffirmed me in that vocation, even to the point of Bishop John Yanta establishing a society and letting me take vows that I would do this for the rest of my life. So the church has affirmed, and I could name many, many other bishops and 
cardinals who have affirmed this vocation. And you know who affirms it? The people of God that are watching right now who continue to support this work and who say to me, you keep yeah. doing what you're doing. Yes. Okay, so there's that. And then when they tried to start limiting this work with, again, no good reason, like we were saying before, um, we honestly strove, we didn't just try, we strove to A, understand the rationale, B, satisfy whatever concern, we could, not only could we not satisfy their concerns, we couldn't even understand their concerns. But it's like, we tried, we went back and forth and back and forth. I have three canon lawyers in Rome, two here in the United States, a team of five altogether with countless lay advisors, legal advisors, uh, uh, and, and we worked and we worked and we went, we had multiple appeals to the Vatican and they came down on our side multiple times too. It's like people who sit back and say, oh, you didn't try hard enough. They don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> we, we, we've been through this and, um, you know, uh, it, it's just, I, I wish there, you know, there's a handful of Catholic journalists. There's a handful of priests. There's a handful of other people who I don't know where they get the attitude, but they seem like they're know-it-alls and they think they can pontificate about my situation, that they haven't lived one hour uh, of what we've been living the last 21 years. I wish they would just shut up, you know, and, and just, you know, open your ears before you open your mouth and, and learn about what uh, the whole story is up there on the sure, website, sure. frfrankbavone.com. So go ahead and read it, you know, and, and, and stop uh, being a know-it-all. But uh, that's the answer to that question Teresa, I, you know, during this time, it's been a year for Father Frank mm -hmm. being laicized. But Father, you know, a few weeks after you were laicized last year, your father also. Yes, 11 away. days later, yeah. Okay, yeah. so, I mean, that certainly is very sad. I, I still remember you saying, and you actually did a broadcast mm -hmm. uh, letting all of your social media friends that your dad did pass away. And you said, in all things, thank God. Yes. Right. Yes. Um, we we want to ask the question: How's how are you doing a year after losing your dad? Um, your mom, how is she doing? Your your younger brother, where you all doing? Well, it's a big adjustment, as as many people watching know, you know, as well as I do. And we're making that adjustment with faith in the Lord, supporting of one another. And um, you know, it's Christmas time. This happened, you know, three days after Christmas. But Christmas has, you know, in these circumstances, even more meaning. Even more meaning, the meaning of it that it's always had. That we, you know, that Christmas carol, man will live forevermore because yes. of Christmas Day. Death has been conquered. Yes. And so that's the gift we continue to celebrate. Well, this has been great. Very good. It's really been fun. Thank you for taking the time. I'm sure we can do it again. There's always a lot more to be said. And yes. uh, we thank you so much for joining us. And uh, if you want to support our work, please feel free to go to prolifegift.org. And uh, if you have questions for us, please send us. Uh, uh, any questions at mail at priestsforlife.org. Thank you so much. Right, thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, please. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.